Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. This is GoPowerCat.com publisher Tim Fitzgerald. Thank you for listening to this PowerCat podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode of the PowerCat podcast by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming a subscriber to GoPowerCat.com. We cover the Wildcats like no one else with our VIP customers enjoying one-of-a-kind coverage from our team of professional journalists. And sign up today for an annual subscription to GPC and grab a 30% discount on your first year. And now here's the PowerCat Podcast. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. discovered your link to gopowercat.com's powercat pregame podcast presented by robin's motor company and it starts right now now let's go to the wtc gig powered studios here's your host gopowercat.com publisher tim fitzgerald Coming off a bye week and looking to right the ship, Kansas State plays host to TCU in a 1.30 p.m. contest Saturday inside Bill Snyder Family Stadium. The game will air on FSN and can be heard across the 39th station K-State Sports Network with Wyatt Thompson, former K-State quarterback Stan Weber, and sideline analyst Matt Walters on the call. Welcome to the PowerCat pregame podcast as we take an in-depth look at K-State versus TCU, and we are sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. K-State just concluded its second bye week through the first seven weeks of the college football season. The Wildcats will finish the 2019 season with seven straight games as they join TCU and Northwestern as the only three Power 5 teams to play each of the final seven weeks. It must be a purple thing. K-State opened the Chris Kleiman era with three impressive victories highlighted by a 31-24 win at number 23 Mississippi State before dropping its first two Big 12 games to fall to 3-2 on the season. TCU enters this week's game at 3-2 overall and 1-1 in Big 12 play after a 49-24 defeat two weeks ago at Iowa State. The Horned Frogs enter this week ranked 13th nationally in rushing at 241.8 yards per game led by Darius Anderson who has 532 yards and six touchdowns this season. Former K-State quarterback Alex Delton has split time at QB with freshman Max Duggan, who is 64 of 113 for 742 yards and nine touchdowns with no interceptions. Expect Duggan to get the start in this game. Facing seven straight weeks of football and coming off a pair of ineffective performances to open Big 12 play, Chris Kleiman's Wildcats are staring directly at a giant dose of adversity. 
Here is what Kleiman has to say about that. Well, obviously they're they're excited because it is game week. And we talked about that, and and um, you know there's you're going to have disappointments in life. Boy, you got to be able to move forward. You, you know you're going to have adversity in life. You know you, you can't dwell on that. Well, you you've got to attack the adversity and keep moving forward and and grow from it. If you're not learning and growing from the adversity, uh, then it's going to destroy you. And uh, uh, I, I'm convinced that our guys are learning. They are growing. Once again, will that mean we're going to have a a way different outcome on Saturday? I, I don't know. I just know we're getting better on both sides of the ball, and the guys uh, are believing in each other and have never stopped that. And now we launch into the Go Powercat roundtable session on the Robbins Motor Company Powercat pregame podcast. With me are Ryan Wallace, Riley Gates, D. Scott Fritchin, our Go Powercat crew, as we look at the frogs and wildcats. And I want to start with you, Ryan Wallace. This is just enormous for K-State to get back to where they were playing earlier in the season. You know, it really is because, uh, you know, we've been talking about it for, I think, going on three weeks now of that this was kind of going to be that deciding stretch for K-State. You know, you had Baylor, you had the off week, you had TCU, and whether you're winning, you know, both of them, which obviously isn't going to happen, this Kansas State team has to win one of those two. If in order for the season to go where you're you're looking at a at a probable bowl game and not an uphill battle down the second stretch of the season where you know things like health and fatigue start to become a factor, because if you fall to TCU in a home game after a bye week, you know with Harley Day and that whole atmosphere that's going on, you know you start looking down the schedule, guys. We're looking at. You know, West Virginia and KU that looked probable, okay, the two bottom kind of teams of the, of the league other than K-State at the moment. The Texas and OU at the top. And then some dicey games to finish off the year with Iowa State at home and Texas Tech and Lubbock, two games that could really go either way. This is this right here, I think, when you're at full strength, coming off the bye, uh, coming off a loss, seems like the, the the game that not only K-State needs to win, but might be kind of the most probable of any of those games for them to win. It, it, it's an absolute must. I agree. You know what? They are 0-2 in the Big 12. They've got TCU. They play Oklahoma. I'll say it over and over in this podcast. Well, you can't be 0-4 and expect to get up and, and start turning your season around. That's a lot to ask. So, D. Scott, this game is crucial, but it continues a streak of slow starts in the Big 12 season for these cats. It really does, Fitz. Uh, you know, Chris Kleiman, welcome to the Big 12. This is uh, enormous. With the loss, the Wildcats would drop to 2-13 and 13 in their opening three Big 12 games over the past five years. And with the loss, K-State also would start at 0-3 in back-to-back years for the first time in Big 12 history. Now, it's not all doom and gloom if K-State starts at 0-3. It started at 0-3 five times, 2001, 2004, 2013, 2015, and 2018. And they went on to make a bowl appearance in three of those seasons, 2001, 2013, and 2015. But you lose this one, and you are definitely looking up an uphill climb. 
climb. You really are, Riley. I mean, holy cow. Oklahoma waiting in the wings. They're pretty good. And then, you know, let's be realistic here, folks. If you balance out the good and the bad for K-State, winning at Texas is going to be awfully difficult. Texas has flaws, but they've got more talent, period. You know, K-State's fought well against Texas in the past, no matter what the difference of talent is. But let's be realistic. So this is one of the games that falls into the, the swing category. You got to have it, man. You just got to. You can get three more wins later. But you got to start here. Well, and for me, it's it's more okay if you lost three of these toss-up games because we considered Oklahoma State, Baylor, and TCU to be kind of toss-up games at the start of the season. If you lost all three of those, how can you confidently look at at Texas Tech, at West Virginia, and start to go, yeah, they'll win that one, and they yeah, might be getting better by then. Those teams, exactly. So, I just I I got to start seeing some stuff from this team. I I understand that it needed to take some time to get used to the system in an actual game. I understand there is a, a bit of a learning curve with the new system, but eventually you got to start seeing some results. And I mean, Oklahoma State was a, a bigger buzzsaw than, than maybe a lot of people thought with that offense. And Baylor was a, a lot more talented team than they had proven to that point. This is a game that you just look at and you go, I don't I don't see something that TCU does way better than K-State. I don't see something that K-State does way better than TCU. It feels a lot more even than the last two games, and that's why you got to look at it and go, you got to get this game because you just – you're going to have to get these because down the stretch, you don't want to have to be looking at Texas and, and games like that as, well, we got to win this one for bowl eligibility. Gary Patterson, Ryan Wallace, is no dummy. He will probably do a lot of the same things K-State has seen the last two Big 12 games. I expect some three-man fronts from a team that usually plays four-man fronts, but we'll mix it in a little bit. Uh, and I expect them to dare K-State to throw the ball with man coverage. And if K-State can't complete passes against man coverage and they don't want to run Skylar Thompson, running the ball is going to be really difficult. They've got to mix it up. They've got to find success somewhere. Yeah, and, I mean, you talk about Gary Patterson. I mean, this is a obviously a very veteran coach, a very highly successful coach, but also a coach that really knows how to utilize a bye week. Not only is TCU getting healthier, particularly more on offense than on defense, but, you know, this is a Horn Frogs team I, I saw in the notes that's won 14 of their last 18 regular season games coming off a bye. And they're also 41 and 15 under Gary Patterson following a loss. Uh, so this, this isn't a program that's, you know, used to uh, kind of being in the position that I guess you'd say they're in. But getting back to, to what you were talking about, just about uh, running the ball. You know, TCU up front doesn't do or doesn't scare you like Riley was saying with some of these playmakers that Baylor had, you know, on the defensive line. Uh, but they do have guys that fly to the ball. You know, Garrett Wallow is a linebacker. You know, TCU will be starting a freshman linebacker at one of their spots. But Garrett Wallow, the experienced guy next to Harris, uh, is one of the best tacklers in the league. Uh, K-State recruited him out of high school and did so for a reason. He's a very smart, heady player, but uh, the guy can go sideline to sideline. He's going to make tackles. Uh, you know, up front, you look at the defensive tackle and Corey Bethley, you know, he's a, a guy that's a very active, uh, quick, physical, 
Um, and, and, you know, even a guy like Shamik Blackshear was a former four-star recruit from uh, a transfer from South Carolina that's going to present some big problems. I, I like K-State's offensive line from the simple standpoint, like we've said all year, that they're experienced. You know, they've been in these ruts before and they've been able to get out of them. So as, as much as I, I want to give Kansas State the benefit of the doubt, uh, as poor as they've played the last two weeks, uh, it, it, it's hard. It, it really is. And, and it's hard knowing that guys like Adam Holtorf, who had been so consistent for most of the, of the season, kind of had a step back last week. You know, Scott France hasn't been his same self. I, I think they will be rejuvenated, Fitz, but it all starts up front. Because, again, with, with Kansas State struggling to throw the ball offensively, they got to control the clock. Well, TCU likes to control the clock as well. So it's going to be who can stay on the field longer and battle the defenses, which are kind of propelling both of these teams. And that starts, as always, up front for K-State. These defenses are actually pretty similar in the fact that they're pretty good most of the time. And then, snap, they give up a big play. They, they have breaks. They miss some assignments. Um, and off the other team goes. We saw it at Iowa State over and over as the Cyclones had numerous big plays against the Frogs. And really, Riley, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. K-State has to generate offense, and they may not be designed for big plays, but this is a game where they need some big plays. I just the, the, Something's got to start happening. I mean, if it, if it has to be out of the normal and get the big plays, then, then that's how it comes. But they've got to start finding that offense two touchdowns combined in two games is unacceptable i mean i don't care what level of football you're playing i don't care what kind of type of team you that's are even that's even sketchy in the big 10 yeah i it's it's not a it's not obviously not very good and you gotta clearly the running game is not where it needs to be right now maybe it'll get back in this one you know they are facing a very tough defensive front so it's going to be difficult for that um, but, yeah, I don't know. Someone's going to have to step up. Maybe a guy like a Josh Youngblood gets open on a deep route and Skylar Thompson can finally have, you know, that play. I feel like we haven't seen a big play from Skylar this year through the air, you know, a, a really deep pass that goes for a score. Something's got to happen, something big um, to bring life back to this offense because I really do think that, like, you know, if they would hit hit a guy like Josh Youngblood or, or Dalton Schoen or something, you know, 30, 40-yard touchdown, Maybe that's the the switch that needs flipped, and then they get going, and suddenly they look like the offense from the first three games. I'm almost out of answers at this point. I, I, know. I don't I don't know what to say about the offense anymore, other than it's bad right now, and something has to change. Simply put, D. Scott, K State's offense must be able to run the ball against TCU. Absolutely, and Chris Kleiman harped on it throughout his news conference about negative plays. That, that's what's killing K-State. K-State has had 10 carries result in negative yardage over the past two games. And the other thing you talk about with the explosive plays, K-State's longest run has been 29 yards. Hmm. And they've had two rushes of 20-plus yards um, in, in the league season. But here's three things about TCU that I find most most scary when it comes to K-State's running game. TCU's allowed just five rushes of 20-plus yards and 162 rushing attempts. TCU opponents have rushed 27 times for a total of minus one yards on third down. And TCU is surrendering just 2.78 yards on 42 rushing attempts inside the Horn Frogs' 40-yard line. So once you cross into that plus territory, they really batten down the hatches. I was a little surprised he, Chris Kleiman put Darius Anderson on the Chuba Hubbard level, but he raved about Darius Anderson. He's a really good running back. He's having a breakthrough season for the Frogs. 
and the way K-State's defense has been so hit and miss, mostly hit, but boy, when they miss, do they miss. Anderson's a real concern, isn't he, Wally? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think he's, you know, approaching top five if he's not already in TCU's yard per carry, uh, you know, record books as far as what his average is every time he totes the ball. This is a guy that, you know, is upwards of, you know, over five yards a carry, even in a, in a bad game uh, at Iowa State. Uh, against a, one of the one of the better defenses, I would think you would say, as far as you know, a complete unit in the Cyclones, he was still averaging, I think, four and a half yards per carry in that game. So, you know, Gary Patterson is going to feed Darius Anderson um, more often than not, and he's the type of of back that they can also use out of the backfield too. Although they've got tons of weapons at wide receiver, the deal is uh, to me with stopping Darius Anderson. You know, the linebackers have to be better. Uh, I think Elijah Sullivan has played fairly good this season. I think Daquan Patton has has been okay. Uh, I, I prefer Daniel Green based on what we've seen so far this season. I just think he's had more of an impact. He's a better athlete um, as far as what he can do in coverage as well as the run. But to me, Fitz, when K-State has been good at stopping the run, over the course of, of the program's history, not right. just this year, it's always been with safeties. It's always been with safeties that can come into the box and lend a helping hand. I think Wayne Jones can do that, but he's young and he's come up and he's missed some tackles. I know Denzel Goolsby can do that. We've seen him do it, um, but he's come up and he's missed some tackles. I don't know if it's a, you know a product of the defense being on the field too long and you're seeing guys that are just getting worn out um, and, and aren't taking the best angles and aren't you know using the best technique. Or if K-State really is getting that out-athleted, <laughs> to, to, I mean, that's the best way I can put it, yep. uh, against some of these running backs. I, I don't really know, but what I do know is, is that I know Wayne Jones and Denzel Goolsby have shown they can do it. They just need to do it consistently. You can go through the history of K-State football, and I can start listing guys. I mean, Lamar Chapman and Marcus Watts and Maurice Mack and all the guys that would come up and, you know, starting with Jamie Mendez, address the run as well as cover the pass. It's from beginning to end. You have to be good at safety. They tie everything together. And right now, I love the two guys they have playing. I know they're good football players, but they've got to be more consistent. And, and whatever it is, D. Scott, this rushing defense for the Cats has to get fixed. Well, I think the big thing it comes down to, again, is the explosive plays. You know, yeah. you look at Hubbard, runs of 84, 53, and 44 yards. And then Lovett had that 46-yard touchdown run in the Baylor game. Guess what? All of a sudden, in the last eight quarters, K-State has surrendered more 40-plus rushes than it did during the entire 2018 season. That's just uh, that's insane. I mean, and I think a lot of it doesn't really show how good of a, a run defense they can be at times because we have seen them play very well against a guy like Kylan Hill and Mississippi State. And we've seen guys like Jordan Mitty and Trey Deshaun step in and, and make plays up the middle. But when you're on the field as much as his defense is right now, you're going to surrender those big plays, and, and clearly they have been by that stat right there. For me, this comes down to a few things. This game is about who can not give up big plays, who can establish a run, and 
who's better on third down? Because both of these defenses have been really good in defending third downs. TCU will three and out you like it's nobody's business. And K-State's offense has really meandered in attempting to convert third downs recently. And Ryan, they sometimes get themselves into good second down positions. They'll be second and short and still not convert a first down. I cannot figure that out. I hope you can. I think it kind of goes back a little bit to what to what Riley was saying in the sense that you've got to get the playmakers more active. You know, I, I think guys like Josh Youngblood need more touches. I think Joe Irvin needs more touches. You know, we've seen what James Gilbert can do. Um, let him be the bell cow for a game. Well, you know, let him be more than just kind of a first down back or a, a short yardage guy. Uh, get Harry Trotter more involved, you know, out of the backfield, out in the flat. It goes back to what we were talking about with the safeties. We've seen this K-State offense do things, and I think that's why – let me take a step back. When you go back to how we opened the show, it sounds like we're very negative on Kansas State and that we thought that they would be better. I don't think any one of us thought that, you know, where K-State is right now in this season is any different than where we projected them to be right. pre- before the season. Exactly. But I think the reason why you're hearing so much frustration, and it sounds like we're down on the guys – is only because we've we've seen that they have the capacity to do things. And for some reason, they've kind of taken a step back from that. So, again, I go back to getting some of these guys more involved. You don't have Malik Knowles. You know, uh, where's Landry Weber? You know, he's a a guy that has proven to be uh, reliable as far as a pass catcher. He's, He's quick, good route runner. Get him on the field more. Get Josh Youngblood. You know, we heard Coach talk about Keenan Garber. Maybe this is a time for him to come out more. I think at this point of the season, coming off a bye, uh, it's time for Courtney Messingham to kind of open the playbook up. And when you're in second down, especially if first down goes the way that you hope it does off the run, you know, open the playbook up. Um, get away from the from the Bill Snyder offense a little bit. Riley, we spent a lot of that off week talking about, does Jordan Brown decide to redshirt because he has one available? Will Joe Irvin play more than four games? On and on and on. You know, you mentioned Keenan Garber there, Wally. they got to play him. It's all hands on deck. You just get guys out there, and if they can help you win this game or any other game, you got to go, unless it gets really late in the season. You don't want to burn someone. Right, and, you know, I think that's the line you got to toe. You know, let's say you, hypothetically you put Keenan Garber in this game and, and he does really well and sparks your offense, maybe you win the game. Yes, it gave you the spark, but is it worth playing him more than four games down the stretch? Because Keenan's a, a guy that's at zero, so you can still play him in four more. But – you need to be smart about it, I think, because I don't know if it's necessarily worth burning a lot of these guys' red shirts unless they are making a huge impact. But if, even if they can give you an impact for one game, two games, whatever it is, got to do something because clearly it's not working right now. Uh, what they have on the field, guys like Dalton Schoen at receiver is, is reliable, but he's not necessarily making big plays that, that some of these athletes can come in and make. You know, James Gilbert having a nice year rushing the ball, but with the loss of Jordan Brown, we've seen the running game regress. You know, is it going to be Joe Irvin, or you, maybe you get Jacardia Wright back in the game? You know, I don't know who who all you could pull up, put him in the game, and and kind of see what happens. But I think you got to start experimenting a little bit because that's why this rule is there. It's, it's here for you to experiment, see what you got, and and make a call from there. It, I think it's kind of ridiculous to not experiment with someone like Keenan Garber because I do think you could maybe get a little bit of a spark from him. Yep, we will see. All I know is to circle back a little bit, Fritch, K-State has stunk on third downs, and TCU's defense is really good on third downs. That can occur. They've got to fix it. 
you know, K-State 7 for 30 in converting on third downs during the Big 12 uh, season. They've gone three and out, 10 of 26 possessions. But here's the thing. K-State is just four for 24 on anything longer than third and three over the past two games. Oh, That's enormous. TCU ranks third in the nation. Here's another thing. Enforcing opponents into a three and out. They're third in the nation in forcing opponents into three and out. And TCU is holding opponents to five for 20 on third down in Big 12 play. So the thing is, is they get the offense off the field, and then they get the ball back to the TCU offense, and they control the clock. That's frightening. It is very frightening. And as we close this roundtable session, let's hear from Coach Chris Kleiman on how his team is facing a TCU defense that has been incredible in getting opponents off the field in three-and-out situations. No easy throws. I think that's the biggest thing I'd say when it's third down for those guys is they're not, you know, they don't void zones and give you easy throws. They're contesting every throw. They're physical on wide receivers, tight ends, backs. You know, they do a really good job in the pass rush game. They always have done an exceptional job rushing the passer. But, you know, to convert and move the chains against these guys, you're going to have to make contested throws and contested catches. Let's start breaking down this game between the Frogs and the Wildcats with our TCU expert on the 24-7 Sports Network, publisher of Horned Frog Blitz, Jeremy Clark. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. I don't know where to start with TCU. I'm confused about K-State. It's hard for me to figure out the Wildcats. Is this a good TCU team or not? I think you guys are kind of the same uh, scenario TCU's in. We we don't know what kind of team TCU has. You saw them play pretty good against uh, Purdue early in the year. Yeah, of course, they didn't have their starting quarterback, and they did have Rondell Moore. They did a great job of shutting him down, and, and they did a great job running the football. They got 364 on the ground, and you're thinking, man, this team's got a great offensive line. They're they're young at quarterback, but the way they're running the football, they'll they'll be okay. Then they lose to SMU. And then they bounced back against Kansas. And then they played probably one of the worst games I've ever seen them play on the road at Iowa State last time out. And really, it's it's a, a, a story of two teams, to be honest with you, Tim. It's, they're either playing good, and, and Gary said it best. He said they're either playing good or they're either playing bad. I don't know where they're at. If you look at their two losses, they've got one loss to SMU, which is playing the best football they've played in 35 years. And they've got another loss to Iowa State, who's got two losses by a combined three points. So I really don't know where this team is yet. I know they got questions on offense. Obviously got a lot of questions on defense. And, and I'm kind of anxious to see what they uh, put out there in Manhattan on Saturday. Yeah, I'm particularly confused with defense because Coach Patterson is so renowned for his defenses. And yet they've given up 40-plus in their two recent losses to SMU and Iowa State. What's going wrong on defense for this team? That's a great question. I think there's a lot of things that, that you can look at that have really led to where they're at on defense. <laughs> Going into the season, we all were hearing that this is an athletic defense. We heard about the experience coming back, a great secondary defensive line. Yeah, they lost L.J. Collier and Ben Banigou, but they've got some good guys coming up. And when you look at Gary's defense, the thing that always has made a 4-2-5 defense successful is up front on the defensive line. When you have a guy like Corey Bethley, who was a preseason All-Big 12 guy coming back, and Ross Blacklock, who was the 2017 Co-Defensive Freshman of the Year with uh, Kenneth Murray, you've got 
two guys that are pretty much regarded as two of the better defensive tackles in the conference. O'Shawn Mathis, all through fall camp, we heard how good he was and how some people were even describing him. Gary Patterson said it himself. This kid may be one of the best defensive ends to ever play here at TCU with me as coach. Collectively, as a defensive line, particularly defensive ends, they've only got one sack mm. through five games. And they're not getting any kind of pressure on the quarterback. And for the 4 5 to really work, you have to have a great defensive line up front to get pressure on the quarterback. They've still done well defending the run, except against Iowa State, where they let Brock Purdy get over 100 yards. Johnny Lang had a team a season high 72 yards. So they didn't do too well against the run against Iowa State. But overall, they're still fast. They're athletic. They've got experience. None of them are losing experience. They're gaining experience. They've got Jeff Gladney, who's one of the best corners in the Big 12. They've got, in my regards, three of the better safeties in the Big 12. Ennis Gaines is a really good, strong safety. And Garrett Waller is playing really good at linebacker. He's he's on pace to set all kinds of records, but they, they've been prone to give up big plays. Um, when you don't get that pass, uh, pass rush and you're not getting any kind of pressure on the quarterback, you're prone to give up big plays, and that's really what's happened to them this year. They've given big plays in five games and I think they did all last season. So it's it's a very confusing question to, to to really give you a good answer on because I really don't know and I still think the coaches are trying to figure out what's going on. Well I don't know how often Coach Patterson shows a three man front, but I won't be surprised if he uses it because Kansas State has been utterly baffled by Oklahoma State and Baylor's three man front. They can't block it, they can't do anything against it, and they've gone into paralysis with just two touchdowns in the two games combined. It's been pretty interesting and I think with the extra week to prepare, I won't be surprised if Gary Patterson shuffles his deck in any way on the defensive side. Yeah, and if you look at it, they, they do do a lot of three-man fronts. Um, they, they did quite a bit against Iowa State, but he's also one of those guys that hates defending good running quarterbacks. I think that's what you got with Schuyler. Um If you look at SMU, they couldn't get off the field on defense because Shane Bouchelle was able to continue plays with his legs, and it was the same thing with Brock Purdy at Iowa State. They they giving them third and long situations and Brock Purdy would make plays with the speed. And anytime you give up 102 yards to a quarterback that isn't really known to be a running quarterback, that, that's a big problem. But I, I think you're right. I think we will see some three-man front uh, from Gary, and there'll be different blitz packages, although Kansas State really doesn't run or pass the ball a whole lot. I still think they're going to try to get some type of pressure to the gas as best they can. Yeah, I agree. Skylar Thompson is a capable runner, but they have publicly said they're trying not to run him nearly as much as they did last year with Bill Snyder. That's something they're going to have to adjust because teams are leaving the run open and they're not taking it. It's been a little baffling to watch. Let's flip over to the Frogs offense. Can K-State borrow Darius Anderson for the rest of the season? Because he's really good. (laughs) I mean, this guy gets it done, doesn't he? And I'm really happy for Darius because he's one of those kids that really burst onto the scene his true freshman year. Everyone was expecting, man, this guy's going to put up records like LaDainian Tomlinson did. He, he has the ability to take these little plays and, and stretch them out to 80-yard runs. And he's he's really just been injured. He, he missed the last three games of his sophomore year, missed the last three games of his junior year. And we talked to him on Tuesday, and we kind of asked him, I asked him straight up, did you feel like you had something to prove this year? Because people weren't really talking about you. It's almost like you were a forgotten guy. Everyone was talking about Shayla Alana Lua, 
and not really Darius Anderson. And, and he admitted, yeah, that, that, that kind of got to me and it, it put a chip on my shoulder that made me want to go out there and, and, and work harder, train harder, and, and get faster and stronger. And Gary said it during fall camp that, that Darius was running better than he had ever seen him his previous three years in fall camp. So we kind of knew going into the season that Darius might have a chance to have a, a pretty good breakout year. I don't think anyone expected him to have the success that he's having right now uh, based on uh, – not not because he doesn't have the ability, but just based upon they usually use uh, not only Darius, but they use Shaylo and even Amari DiMicardo. De, De but they've really given the load to Darius, and, and I think he's really – just taking that chance and, and ran with it. They really like the way he's running right now, and they they slowed him down against Iowa State. But as long as the offensive line keeps producing the way they are, they're a big offensive line, big up front. Lucas Niang's huge right tackle. David Bowlesome is a big right guard, and they got Anthony McKinney at left tackle at six eight three thirty. They they've been able to create those running lanes, and he's one of those guys that doesn't hesitate. He just hits the hole as fast as he can. And he tries to get positive yards no matter how how many carries he gets. So really exciting to see how he's been doing this year. Jalen Rager, man, if you need a reception, that seems to be who TCU turns to. Just a rock-solid receiver that gets it done for the Frogs. And to be honest with you, Tim, it's, it's kind of surprising that he only has 15 catches yeah. right now because he's got the ability. If you look at all the mock drafts and everything else, he's – He's got the ability to be a first-round pick. Uh, he's, he's extremely fast. He's he's a good route runner. Um, but they just had problems getting him the ball. And it's it, some of that has to do with them bringing in Max Duggan, Alex Dell, the new quarterback. But if you look at last year, he had to catch passes from four different quarterbacks, and he put up the second best, the second most productive year ever for a TCU receiver in terms of catches yards and touchdowns so it, it, I don't think it's really the quarterback play I think it's just the fact that maybe the maybe the quarterbacks just aren't looking to them over enough maybe they're just not calling enough plays but we looked at last year toward the end of the season where TCU really had no other offensive weapons it was Jalen Rager the reason why they won that Baylor game it was Jalen Rager was the reason why they won against Oklahoma State those two games if they didn't have Jalen Rager TCU would have finished with four wins on the season so a big part of that success last year goes to him but they need to do a better job of, of getting him the ball whether it's on quick passes on on reverses on screens uh, they obviously know what kind of vertical threat he is he, he got a couple of good passes last week against Iowa State but they need to continue to move him all around the field I think putting him just as a, as a C receiver doesn't uh, do justice for the ability he has. I think they need to move him all around, and, and they've done that some, but I'll, if, if you watched the Texas OU game and just saw how Oklahoma utilized a guy like C.D. Lamb and moved him all over the field, that's what TCU needs to be doing with Jalen, and I think at minimum that kid needs to have at least 10 to 15 targets a game. Fans around K-State certainly have affection for Alex Delton. He's a great young man. He fled out of here for his senior season because he was sharing time at quarterback. He paused by maybe going to UTEP and then ends up at TCU where he is sharing time at quarterback. It's been an interesting journey at quarterback so far this season for TCU. Yeah, and you're right, man. Alex Alex is one of the uh, – you know, been around TCU for a long time, and he's he's really one of the uh, more remarkable kids I've seen and, and, and had a chance to talk with. He's he just has a certain presence about him when when he comes into the media areas. He just he just glows, and people want to talk to him. But 
what he's done away from uh, microphones and cameras and just help the way he's helped the team has spoken volumes. He's he's not playing as much as Max Duggan is right now. I think part of that is is they're they're looking more toward the future. But Alex has helped that quarterback room, and I and I think if you ask Gary Patterson, he'll tell you straight up the reason why they're playing so much better at quarterback this year is because of Alex. And, and he said a long time ago, no matter how many plays Alex plays, he's already made our team better. He's team captain right now. I think that speaks volumes for the type of character he is. And the, the most part for, for him to come in as, as a fifth year guy and just, he, he left Kansas state. He, he probably would be playing all the time at UTEP. So he's, he's kind of been humbled to the fact that he, he is backing up a true freshman, but He's still going out to practice every day. He's still working hard. He's still trying to give whatever advice he can give to Max to help him get better, and that just shows what kind of team player he is. And and for me personally, I hope the guy gets a chance to get in there on the field against his old teammates, and and I'm sure he'll have a blast doing that, and I'm sure he'll have a blast. And I'm hoping the fans, when he comes into the game, kind of gives him a little uh, applause just because I I don't think there is any bad blood with the two. I I think Alex just really wanted to get to a place where – he felt that he could get some more playing time, but it would it would be uh, just for a personal note, maybe a, a TCU fans. Uh, it'd be pretty cool to see Alex get in there and, and have a chance to score a touchdown and, and see what happens. That was Jeremy Clark, publisher of the twenty four seven TCU site. And as we go to break here, let's hear from Coach Chris Kleiman and his thoughts on former K State quarterback Alex Delton and how he and Max Duggan will be used in Saturday's game. I don't know Delton probably as well as you guys do. So that's, you know, on the limited snaps that, that we have seen him play this year um, and, and just listening to talking to the GAs and guys around uh, and stuff, uh, that he's a really good football player. He, he makes things happen. He's a, a spark for him. And, and obviously I think he throws the ball uh, better than probably people give him credit for. But he's, he's so dangerous running the football, and, and, and we know that. But I fully expect to see both of them. We've seen both of them in, in multiple games this year. I don't know how much more um, that we'll see him than, than, they will, than we will the freshman. But uh, uh, without question, we have to be ready for his package. The experts from GoPowerCat.com will return with more on the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We now send it back to the PowerCat podcast. Joining you once again, it's Tim Fitzgerald and Go PowerCat football analyst Marcus Watts. 
Welcome back to the PowerCat pregame podcast. As we launch into our analyst section of your show, we are sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. The dedicated team of automotive professionals at Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat will match you with a vehicle that suits your lifestyle and budget. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. As we do every pregame show, we start off with our Analyst in chief, Sir Marcus Watts, who joins us from Parts Unknown. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing good. It's kind of weird the way these off weeks bookended two bad football games. I mean, really bad performances, uninspired performances. They couldn't block. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't throw. They couldn't run. Basically, they couldn't football, if you want to say it that way. Is that something they can shake right out of and come out of this off week looking like they did the first three weeks of the season? I, I sure hope so. I remember talking when they played Oklahoma State off of that off week, and we, you kind of talked to me and asked me what I thought. Is it good or is it bad? And I'm like, well, if you're not healthy, it's good, but it can be bad because you can get out of rhythm. And, you know, Coach Kleiman said the same thing uh, this week at the press conference. You know, football's a rhythm sport. And when you're playing week in and week out, you get into a rhythm. Um, and then when you have those bye weeks, it kind of sets you back. And it's almost like restarting the season. So it's like a first game of the year. What are you going to – what can you expect? You know, I think it was actually how it's set up this year might be better because they had those two games and they played against teams that run, you know, a three – a three, four, mm-hmm. three man front. So they're trying to change stuff in that week with Oklahoma state and Baylor midweek, but now you have an off week to even work on it more without having to worry about preparing for the game that weekend. It could be a really good thing if, if they've been able to, f- to try to figure it out and to try to scheme against, you know, what they've struggled against their first two big 12 games. Real quick, let's hear from Chris Kleiman. As Marcus said, he discussed what these two off weeks can do to his team. Football is a rhythm sport, and you, and you need to you need to be able to play to continue to improve. Um, and you know, you can only practice so much. Uh, just from NCAA guidelines and rules and stuff, and, and, and you get better by competition, bottom line. I, I'm glad we had two bye weeks. I would have loved one in week four and week 10 or week four and week nine or something, uh, but to have them as close as they are back-to-back. Some guys, like a Sammy, could be a benefit for it. Other guys, you know, like Wayne and J-Mac, guys that, that are playing well but new to a position, those guys just need to continue to play games. Marcus, I am concerned about this team losing rhythm with these off weeks. Uh, I, I've never really heard a coach say we got to stay in rhythm. It's a rhythm game. You know, it's very true. They usually embrace an off week. This was a messed up schedule in part because this was supposed to be a Thursday night game, and the off week was parked in front of it. So you would have had longer preparation next week for Oklahoma. So be it. It is what it is. K-State's got to get ready for a TCU team that honestly has been up and down itself, not as dramatically as Kansas State, but has given up a lot of points at two out of three games, losing to SMU and then at Iowa State. Sandwiched in between was a win over Kansas. I don't know what to expect from TCU, but I know this. They will be supremely prepared for Kansas State because the Frogs also are coming off an off week. And I think Coach Gary Patterson at TCU will have his team very focused in on what the Cats can and can't do. K-State has shown 
other teams and other coaches what to do against them to make them not successful. Right. Um, if you stop K-State's run, you're probably going to have a good day. Right. Um, you know, going back to that rhythm thing, this is like a lot of the reasons, like when I, the running back by committee thing. Now, you know, Brown's out uh, with an injury, and so you have Trotter uh, and Gilbert and then, you know, the freshman. But I think Gilbert needs to be, get more carries. He needs to be involved in the game more. I think he's too good of a running back to take out after the first series if he has a good series. And then he's not going to maybe see first drive. Then he may not see the ball again until the second quarter. That gets you out of rhythm as a player. And so go with the hot hand. TCU's defense is up and down, like you said. They've got a great defensive coach. Gary Patterson is a very good defensive defensive coach. And so he, he's going to have something ready for K-State this weekend. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, even though they mainly he likes the four-man front, they'll run some three-man yeah, front. You may see a lot of it this week because they had a week to actually work on it even more. And so K-State's offensive line has to play better. The running backs have to play better. And more importantly, Skyler Thompson has to play better. It's just he's starting to revert to his old self um, last year and how he was and how he'd go through his progressions. Um, see the first guy, if he's not opener, and then he bails. And then he just kind of, you know, he gets in his own head sometimes. He, he just does. needs trust. trust the offensive line. If you get sacked, you get sacked. Trust the offensive line. And they need to run him more. Let's be frank. I mean, that's the only – if you have no quarterback run threat in today's college football age – you're not going to be as successful as you could be. No, because they're giving that up. They're saying, okay, you can run Skyler. It's clear you don't want to, so we'll just let you have that in case state isn't taking it. And it's understandable. They're being protective of him because there's a clear drop-off behind him, but you got to take what the defense is offering you. He's got to be smart. That's part of the problem with Skyler. He's not, he's not being decisive. If he's got to run, run. If you're about to get hit, get down. If you're about to get sacked and you can throw the ball away, do it. He's hanging on to the ball, and worst yet, he's fleeing that pocket but not really running and not really looking to throw the ball. He's just kind of meandering about, not accomplishing much of anything, but the defense is throwing him a look that he's not solving, and they will keep doing it. They're playing man on the outside, putting a lot of bodies in the box saying, you want to run? We're not going to let you. We're going to make you throw against our man defense. And K-State has attempted to do so and has not been successful. K-State doesn't have the receivers to do that. Their running game has to set up their passing game. It's just how it's going to work. If they're running the ball successfully, you know, if they're going to average five yards a carry, they will be. They should be able to throw the ball a little bit with play action, but teams just aren't respecting K State's passing game at all. They they're not scared of it. Their corners, safeties, linebackers. You know they're better athletes than K State's are. Um, they're faster than K State's receivers are, and it takes longer for plays to develop. There may be receivers open, but they're taking too long to develop. So running rub routes, running motions for receivers to, to you know, get, get the defense eyes moving um, will help all of that and help Skyler also. It'll tell Skyler, hey, they're in zone, hey, they're in man, if you run some more motions. Skyler needs to run the ball like we talked about five times a game, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't think he needs to run a lot. He doesn't need to be a battering ram, but he's got to keep the defense honest that because he is a threat. I mean, he can run the ball. 
the problem that I have is that K State has out is outspoken to the media, uh, to everybody. Oh, we're not going to run Skyler. We don't want to run Skyler. Whatever other coach here is that? Oh, yeah. okay. Well, then we do. Let's not worry about the run. I mean, you still got to worry about it as a, an opposing coach. But if they say they're not going to run them a lot, and they're not going to, then that's something that we're not going to have to work on or focus on this week in the game. Now they may be doing that to set it up to where they are going to run them ten times, fifteen times one game uh, to try to get that win. But you got to do it. What I don't understand here, Marcus, is that North Dakota State offense that they're supposedly bringing to Manhattan. Uh, we saw elements of it early on. They now have seemingly abandoned going under center for the most part. But they ran the quarterback at North Dakota State. Not a lot, like you said, but they made defenses pay for not respecting the quarterback run. And until they do that with Skyler, this offense is going to stink. I'm sorry. They're going to have to have planned, designed runs about five times a game, and he's got to be willing to tuck the ball and run like any good quarterback will do and be wise about getting out of bounds or getting onto the ground. Not even just him run. Move the pocket. Right. Run some bootlegs. Run some sprint outs. Get Skyler on the outside, but he's you know he's got to be willing to run if it's not open or just I mean get get the ball away quick. But you know move the pocket, move the defense. That only helps your running game, which Casey seems to like to do the you know the power eye, running it straight up the middle, um, or on the edges and the zones and stuff. You know that just it it softens the defense. Right. Um, it'll make the defensive ends not crash as hard because they're, you know, they got to keep contained for the outside. Um, and so, you know, it just, you got to create different things in case it has become very stagnant. Like they're opening the game like they did against Baylor last week, throw, throw, throw. I don't know why, because that's like K-State's specialty. And I get it. Baylor probably had eight or nine guys in the box, but as coach Schneider used to always say, I'm still going to run it at you. You still have to stop me. Right. Whether you have eight or nine guys in the box, you still got to be committed to that. And I think K-State did that early on in the season is they came out and ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball. Now they're looking, now they've kind of got, you know, old teams are going to stack the box against us. So let's throw it. This team's not built to do that. Right. And so they got to run the ball first to set up the pass instead of the opposite pass to try to set up the run i'm with you defensively i don't know what i'm seeing right now from the k-state defense they are good much of the time they really are they fly to the ball they're aggressive they get things done but they miss tackles they miss assignments they're just not polished they're not a finished product and honestly as a former safety you have to be concerned by some of the things you're seeing from k-state safeties oh it's fits it's yeah. safety's fitting in the wrong places, and it's not even one hole. It's a lot. It's bad. Um, you know, I remember one play, and I'm not gonna you know name names or whatever, but the safety went way out wide, and the receiver just cut it up, and yeah. I mean, he went untouched against Ben Baylor all the way into the end zone. Like it was a poor angle taken by the safety. He was way out wide trying to cut it back. That's not his responsibility. Um, you know, that's the corner's responsibility is to cut it back. And I even think there was a defensive end way out wide to make the cutback come back. And so you have those issues with a new defense, um, especially if the old defense was the opposite way. Um, but, you know, if they're running some cover two, you know, which, you know, Scotty Hazleton likes to run and stuff, you know, the safeties are very important in the run game. 
And if they're not playing up to up to standards and stuff, then it it, it can be a long day. And so they just got to work on those things. You know, once you see it and do it more, um, it becomes more of a habit and stuff. And so I just think this is a lot of the growing pains that are going to come with a new defense coordinator. You've got some players that aren't playing up to their ability, which is very difficult, uh, especially Reggie Walker. You know, he just he's just not the Reggie Walker that he's kind of digressed every year, I feel like. You know, we had Jordan Willis the first year who, you know, took a lot of the pressure off him, but he's still being blocked. Um, but he's got Wyatt Hubert on the other side, which teams are focusing on because he's probably the best defender on this team. Right. And so he should be making more of an impact in the game. So hopefully something will change within him and he'll he'll be able to make some more plays um, because the defensive line is doing an okay job and the linebackers are doing an okay job. I just think it's the back end um, that's struggling a little bit. Well, if you want to know how you get outscored 57 to 25 in your first two Big 12 games, it's pretty simple. You don't block well, you don't tackle well, you miss assignments, you don't play with enthusiasm, your quarterback's not making plays, receivers aren't getting open. It is a myriad of problems. I'm not sure they can solve it in one off week, but I know this, the things they can't control, they need to control. They need to be more assignment sound. They need to play with better spirit and and get the job done. It's frustrating to watch. It is. It is, but you know, you know, People got real high from the first three games. I understand that. You know, they played very well those first three games. They went down to Mississippi State. I don't think Mississippi State's a very good team. Yes, they're an SEC team. I, I just don't think they're a very good team. They would be in the bottom half. They'd be six or worse in the Big 12, I think. I honestly believe that. Um, and so everybody looked at that game like, oh, they're going to be really, really good. And, you know, this, you know, Mississippi State might not even make a bowl game, for all I know. They got a tough division to get through so yeah, they won't um they may they may have they've not beaten a bull team yet and so it, don't get don't get too down this team's gonna go through growing pains they're learning the coaching staff's learning um the players also so because i've never seen them in games until this year i mean yeah they can watch as much film as you want but until you actually are coaching and making quick decisions you don't know I still think that this team can finish with six or seven wins, but you know, offensively, I think they're going to have to change and do a lot more stuff to help Skyler out and help the defense get loosened a little bit so that they're not just always stacking the box. They got to do some stuff to help these, these players that can't maybe do things on their own one-on-one to make them successful. His name's Marcus Watts. You just heard why he's our top football analyst, good friend, and out on the road doing his thing. Marcus, I appreciate you joining us today on the Power Cap Pre-Game Podcast. And now it's time to break down the game between the Wildcats and TCU. We continue to go in depth with this game between the Frogs and Wildcats by bringing in Brian Hanley, our football analyst, on the offensive side of the ball. If you were the offensive line coach for Kansas State, where would you start to begin to correct the problems they're having in protection and run blocking? Well, the first thing that I would do, you got to get back to basics, get back to what was literally working before, um, you know, come up with a game plan. I wouldn't necessarily just beat and grind on the guys a whole lot. Uh, take some ownership as coaches and just say, we got to get back to basics and get back to what we do well. Running downhill, um, you know, and just being a more physical team. It seems like 
that they've taken their foot off the gas with some of the finesse defenses that we've seen, these three-man lines, and that they haven't just gone downhill or gone right after them. It's like we're overthinking it a little bit. So just get back to basics, get back to what you do best, and just do that and continue to do that and don't overthink it. And your quarterback, Skylar Thompson in this case, has to play with confidence, and he really hasn't done that the last two games, both losses to open the Big 12. Skylar needs to be a little cocky. That he's have yeah. confidence that uh, he's going to be decisive in his decision making and go out there and make plays. Yeah, he does. He's got to go out there and and go be the guy that he was the the first three games of the season. Uh, we're into conference play. Uh, I know it's still early in conference play, but the season is not early, and he's not a first year player. So, you know, it's time for him to take the necessary steps to get us to where we need to be because the team's not, especially on the offense, they're not going to go anywhere unless he's playing well. And it's time for him to play well. It's no more excuses. Absolutely. He's going to have to lead this offense and getting James Gilbert up and running. Uh, is just critically important. It looks like Jordan Brown is out for a couple more weeks at least. I don't think there's a plan to redshirt the senior, even though he's got a redshirt available. And I think they're intending to go ahead and keep playing Joe Irvin, also the freshman running back, and burn his redshirt. It's kind of all hands on deck right now, isn't it? If you if you got someone that can help you win a game, you're going to have to play him. Exactly. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I know a lot of times, and especially in the past and, and at other programs, sometimes you red shirt, you know, freshmen, but you know what, when you're building a program or if a guy can help you win, then you play that guy then, and don't worry about the rest. The one thing that we do need to, to be conscious of is, you know, how you, when you do build a program, you need older guys down the road, kind of like Baylor. But at the same time, we're in a position to be able to win. Now we're not, you know, going to lose 11 games or 10 games in a season like Baylor did. We're ready to win now. So let's get those players on the field right now and help us win right now. So look at TCU. I'm a little confused because Gary Patterson is known for his defensive prowess, his knowledge on that side of the ball, and yet they gave up last time out two weeks ago. They also had a week off. They gave up 49 points at Iowa State. They lost at home to SMU by giving up 41. It's been confusing. I'm not used to seeing TCU kind of pushed around on the defensive side, but they've given up big plays. The team that doesn't give up big plays is in a pretty good position to win this game. Pretty simple, but very true. These defenses, their M.O. is very similar. It's been tricky to kind of figure out TCU, but it wasn't just this year. I mean, the last couple of years, they've been giving up big plays, lots of yards, lots of points. And it's not my job to figure that out, but I just think that maybe teams have caught up to what they do. And especially this year, I mean, Iowa State's not a team that you that's known for going out there and scoring a ton of points, and they just piled up the points in the yard. So uh, as far as this week, K-State's got to get back to base. This is a game we should win. This is a game that we can score some points, get healthy on offense and defense. This is a game that we should be able to move the football and go out there and win this football game. Three and two, zero oh and two in the Big Twelve, and facing two more home games here. The second being Oklahoma. Good luck with that, Cats. So this game really looms as an important one for Kansas State, doesn't it? You got to get this, or you're staring at zero and four in the conference. And just from a mental standpoint, it's hard to get up off the mat and go find three more wins out of your final five games if you find yourself in that predicament. 
Well, and that's right. And I don't think putting pressure on yourself to say, hey, we've got to go win this game is a bad thing. Some people try to, to mosey around and say, well, you know, we've got other games. We're trying to build this. We're trying to do that. Hey, here's a game that we should be able to win. This is not necessarily going to define our season if we win it. But if we lose it, it's going to change the format and the focus of where we go from here because there are some other tough games left on this schedule. So this is a game that we should go win, and the guys need to go out there and expect to win it and go just go do it. We got into this on our questions podcast on Wednesday at Go Power Cat. The fact that Chris Kleiman kind of put himself in a trap here by saying this isn't a rebuild. We can tend to pick up and win games. My friend, this is a rebuild. I mean, we can see it now that they just don't have enough guys to compete consistently at the Big 12 level, or uh, they need the guys that they are putting faith in just to play a whole heck of a lot better. They don't have the depth. We knew that. They really are struggling with speed. We knew they probably would. And here we are. They have to find a way to overcome. They do, but I think if people temper the expectations and just understand at the beginning of the season, we all thought that K-State was going to be anywhere between a five and seven win football team. Well, we got off to the great start. We win at Mississippi State. And everybody thought, oh, okay, well, change expectations. Well, now if we take it back and we look at it, Mississippi State's not very good. Right. And so we're out there. We, we beat them. Don't get me wrong. To go on, on the road and win an SEC game is a good feeling. It's a good thing. But they're not a very good football team. So we as a program have to understand where we are. And what we need to do. This is a rebuild, just like you said. We just don't have the Joes yet. We'll get there, but it's going to take some time. And I think the expectations, if we can get to a bowl game, which I do expect that we should be able to do that. When we win six games, we need to be able to do that. Now, we're going to need some luck because you got to stay healthy because yeah. we just don't have the depth and the numbers. So if, if we run into a rash of injuries, well, you know, Katie bar the door, that's something else because the depth's just not there. But at the same time, we have enough skilled players or enough position players everywhere to go out and win six football games and get to a bowl. And we need the bowl game because we need the extra practices. Sure do. Absolutely. Malik Knowles is probably out again this weekend, and I would guess he'll be out next weekend with Oklahoma. But the question is, even a depleted or down Mississippi State, winning in Starkville is not easy to do. And here we look at this. Kansas State has TCU this weekend. They go to Kansas. They still have West Virginia and Iowa State coming in, and they go to Texas Tech. Those are all comparable opponents, in my mind, to what you accomplished by winning at Mississippi State. There's games that can be won. That's exactly right. Games that can be won. So we've got to go in with the mindset to win and starting this weekend. This is a big weekend. I mean, I don't want to shy away from it. I don't think that the players should. I don't think that the fans should. The fans should show out in full force on Saturday. I don't think anybody should be shying away from we need to win this game, and it is all hands on deck to do it. His name's Brian Hanley, former Kansas State offensive lineman, and he will join me after Saturday's game between the Frogs and Cats with your postgame podcast right here at GoPowerCat.com. 
Now we go out to Las Vegas to get a look at the lines and how Vegas feels about this game with our expert, Kelly Stewart. You can find Kelly on social media, Kelly in Vegas. She started the Showtime series Action, and you can find her at wagertalk.com. And if you need a gambling proxy service, look up Kelly in Vegas proxy service. Oh, and she's a K-Stater, which is important. I don't think we'd have you on if you were... Well, let me put, randomly pick a school, uh, TC yeah. person. No, that wouldn't that wouldn't that wouldn't fit the bill. I uh, I apologize. I actually had something come up this afternoon, so uh, Minty is going to be covering for me. She's kind of like my little protege on the videos this week, and I was like, if I get any backlash for putting another hot chick on video instead of myself because she's not a K-State fan, I'm going to tell her, like, hey, can you bring a purple shirt so you can appease all these K-State fans? Hold on, you have a protege. Yeah, you haven't seen her other videos on Wager Talk. She's great. Yeah. Um, I found her on Twitter. She was doing some other sports gambling stuff. I took her to dinner. I'm like, hey, listen, I can help you get to what took me a decade in like two or three years. Just kind of follow my lead and, awesome. and just be a sponge and learn. And she's absolutely awesome. And uh, when I found out that I had to not be in videos this afternoon, that I was like, hey, you got to have Minty on there so that KC fans aren't mad at me. Well, let's just cut to the chase here. I mean, it's a video about the predictions and odds of this game. Would Kelly Stewart touch this game as a gambler? So I made the game K-State minus three. Now, I rate Bill Snyder Family Stadium higher than most handicappers, and that's because I've been there 150,000 times, yeah. it seems like, in my life, and I can tell you that that place gets rocking. But I made TCU a one-point favorite. If the game was, let's say, in Oklahoma, right? A neutral field somewhere that's not, you know, somewhere in the middle where everybody gets to travel. This TCU team is interesting. So far, I haven't been that impressed with them. Then to go in and just get beat up by Iowa State, which as much as I love Matt Campbell and as much money as I made off the Cyclones team last year, I'm not that high on this Cyclones team. TCU has moments of flashiness, but I think the TCU team that we saw against us is really who they are. I mean, of course you can beat up on a lowly KU team as much as people want to say that KU's improved. They're still three, four years away. In my opinion, it's going to take a long time to get that team going. If they ever get going again, I, I don't know. I, I want to bet K-State here. I've been looking at the game pretty hard. This K-State team dropping two in a row and with the weird scheduling with the bye weeks only you know three weeks apart is odd well technically two games so three weeks in between but it's tough for me because last week I look at Mississippi State versus Tennessee and I'm like man I really like the Vols I really like the Vols but I couldn't get to to the window with the Vols and there's Mississippi State which really discredits Arwen and Sarkville this is tough. This case eight team, I said, was a six, seven win team, and I'm sticking by that. They're going to have to be able to beat TCU if they want to make anything happen. And I think they can beat TCU. Catching three and a half at home, though, is is enticing. And, yeah, I'm, I'm going to probably get to the window with the Wildcats. I was stunned when I saw TCU by three and a half, favored by three and a half in this game because – Honestly, they looked really good against Kansas, but is that a really a fair barometer of anything, particularly when they go on the road? And in the two games sandwiched around that, they've given up, what, a combination of 90 points. They're still giving up, even with Kansas, 35 a game over the last three. This is not a typical Gary Patterson defense in that they really make it hard on you. 
but they still are effective, particularly on third downs. They don't let people, they force people into three and outs quite often. And I almost feel like they play into some of the weaknesses of K-State. But then again, Kelly, I don't know what to expect from K-State. They look so good, so efficient, so motivated, and now they don't. And I feel like that's something they can rediscover and all of a sudden be a, a better football team, the, the type of team that can win in Starkville. Devalue it all you want. I agree it has to go down in value because Mississippi State isn't very good. But right now with this team, winning anywhere on the road seems to have something of note for K-State, and they did go to Starkville and win. I hate to discredit them. I just mean that I think Mississippi State was ranked at least in the talking head world a little bit higher than they probably should have been yeah. this year. We know that Oklahoma State is good. So, I, you know, I don't want to discredit that loss because K-State did hang around. Yes, the final score was not as pretty as we would have liked again, kicking field goals when we should have went for touchdowns, et cetera. The Baylor game went the exact same way. I don't know how to justify either of those losses in my mind, but I do think K-State's going to get up big against TCU. And I can tell you this right now, Tim, we know that Kansas State's going to win the time of possession. And as you mentioned, TCU's defense is rather fraudulent. I think K-State can get a win here. And uh, I'm still seeing doubtful from Malik Knowles. Yeah. If, you're see- if he's a go, K-State has my money. I know that we're not, we're not getting 100%. In, but for this K-State team that we're always told is, you know, a bunch of two- and three-star recruits and walk-ons and everything like that. We do have some talent, especially in the skill position, and we need to be able to utilize it. And I like when, you know, we played in Starkville, we threw the ball downfield, and we went for it. And those are the things we're going to have to do all season long if we want to win six or seven games. Right. If they want to win seven, this is all but a must. Six is still possible. But then you simply worry about losing your third Big 12 game and playing Oklahoma next week. So you lose your fourth and then you're kind of in a spiral. So this is a really big game for K-State. The over-under is 44. So at least the one I saw, that means Vegas is expecting a low-scoring game based on the spread and the over-under 24-20-ish. I think a lot of people expect K-State to come out very vanilla. And the last five times these two teams have played, it's went under the total. And people start to look at those kind of trends, even though they're a small sample size and not really worth a whole lot. People do pay attention to that. I wouldn't be surprised if this game goes over, especially because I expect K-State to win, which means they're going to have to throw the ball downfield. They're going to have to kick, or they're going to have to go for touchdowns instead of kicking field goals. I mean, we joke about it every single week on the podcast we do here in Vegas, Kelly and Murray. Kicking is for losers. Stop kicking field goals if you want to beat a team as an underdog. you got to go for it. And we've seen coaches that are ballsier, and Kleiman shows glimpses of that. And I hope uh, if they want to beat this TCU team, they're going to have to go for those fourth and ones instead of settling for three. What's the rest of the Big 12 slate look like for you? The rest of the Big 12 is interesting. Here's the Oklahoma team favored by way too many points over West Virginia, but I'm not back in West Virginia. I I made the game 34. It's right on the money. I lean towards Texas Tech uh, versus Iowa State. This Tech team has shown lots of glimpses of scrappiness. I knew they'd beat Oklahoma State. I actually leaned towards Baylor last week, and Texas Tech probably should have won that game. I like Baylor this week, uh, but I'm not touching them. I have a thing against betting on ranked teams catching points. So here's Baylor in the top 25 getting three and a half at Oklahoma State. So they'd essentially be a pick them on a neutral field. 
I, I, I wanted to back Baylor here, but I, I don't do that. That's it's breaking my own rule, and I broke that rule of K-State this year, not breaking it this week. And uh, I like KU versus Texas. I know that sounds weird. Oh, I do too. This KU team gets up for big teams named Oklahoma and Texas. They got the cover for us against Oklahoma. I made the game 21. I like KU this week. Well, I think they'll score more points. I think this offensive coordinator does do a good job. They will put up more points than they have in some of these games, and the spread is, what, 21, 21 and a half? Absolutely. means Texas is going to have to score a lot of points if KU scores about 24, which I expect. 45 is attainable for Texas, but I would lean towards KU in the cover on this one. Especially with this Texas defense, we know that they're suspect. That final score versus Oklahoma was not indicative of how that game went. Oklahoma dominated them almost start to finish. The back door got left open. Texas scores a late touchdown. Oklahoma no cover. So always something to keep in mind when you're looking at these numbers is maybe look at a little bit more than just the box score. Well, I guess you would bet K-State. You thought they should be favored. They're a home dog, which I found very surprising. And I guess that also means Vegas has lost a lot of faith in Chris Kleiman's Wildcats. I think that Vegas has a little bit, but more importantly, a lot of people don't realize, Tim, when it comes to making numbers, public perception is built into this line. Right. And the public has lost faith on Kansas State because they went to back them against Baylor and they got burned. They went to back them against Oklahoma State and they got burned. So they jumped off the bandwagon. They're expecting everybody to, to bet against K-State this week and lay the three and a half with TCU. K-State gets the win. Um, and uh, hopefully it doesn't embarrass me nationally <laughs> once again. <laughs> At least you won't be on your own segment. That'll give you a little insulation. There you go. <laughs> Her name is Kelly in Vegas, Kelly Stewart, actually, and she's one heck of a sports gambling insider and does a great job for us. Kelly, thank you very much. We will talk to you next week and a lot of weeks in a row after this. We've heard from the Go Powercat staff as well as our GPC analysts and Jeremy Clark, the publisher of the TCU site on the 24-7 Sports Network. These are two teams underachieving and a win Saturday in Manhattan would stabilize the winner's season. Subscribers to GoPowerCat.com can read my five keys to victories analysis Friday at GPC, but for now, let's cut to the prediction. Well, Wildcats, you need to prove me wrong. After seeing the dramatic decline in performance once Big 12 play opened, I cannot pick K-State in this game. I am predicting a score of TCU 24, K-State 20. That will do it for this week's PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company, where they strive to earn lifetime business and build relationships, selling quality cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, and offering top-notch parts and service. I will return to the gig-powered studios following Saturday afternoon's game, and Brian Hanley will join me as we break down what took place between the frogs and cats with our PowerCat post-game podcast sponsored by Caddyshack Golf. That's Saturday evening right here at GoPowerCat.com, your online leader for independent and professional K-State sports coverage for more than 20 years. I'm GoPowerCat publisher Tim Fitzgerald. It's K-State versus TCU Saturday at 1.30 inside Bill Snyder Family Stadium. You've been listening to the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. PowerCat podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.